You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal Or measure them all by box office appeal But for once in your life Be real! Welcome one and all to Be Real It's your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast My name is Chance Solon Pfeiffer And I'm Noah Ballard And we're in your ears once again to discuss three movies of a similar genre. Now you want to tell them what our genre is for this episode? Oh, it's Lady Spies. Yes, La Femme Espionage. I'm excited. Yeah, I was a little disappointed that we couldn't work La Femme Nikita into this mix. Let me just say off the bat, but it's like just not available anywhere. You can't rent it. Right, and I think that that was sort of an interesting... I mean, we're kind of doing this. The topical hook is Red Sparrow, but I feel like La Femme Nikita is kind of the... The baseline, especially for like a male director and Luc Besson, kind of finding like an interesting like muse slash badass violent presence and and like putting a spy movie with like weird sexual politics around it. So we're kind of evaluating Francis Lawrence, Philip Noyce, and and Paul Feig on the Luc Besson scale, even though we're not talking about La Femme Nikita, I think. So do we want to just dive in? Unless you want to tell us about what were you doing this weekend? Ah, oh, we could go to the Ethos Corner for a second. Let's do it, Nick. Keep it real. Think slow. We should get through it just fine. Hello, Ryder, Donnie. Donnie, hello, Ryder. Noah, have you ever? <laughs> Have you ever dug for razor clams before? I can't even say that I knew that that was a thing one could do. You can do it on the uh, the weird west coast of Washington, um, as we did this past weekend with my aunt, who was like, you should come up here for the clam digging festival. And of course, we're imagining like, you know, Little Mermaid, beautiful, symmetrical clams. You open them up, maybe there's a pearl in there, right? I, I, I don't know. Well, I know what you were imagining. It was close to that. These motherfuckers <laughs> are much more like, uh, you know, the like face huggers um, from the Alien franchise. Oh, perfect. Like you stick a giant. Well, basically what you look for is you go out on this cold beach with, <laughs> in my experience, dozens and dozens of old people in galoshes up to their be- belly buttons. Um, but you yourself are wearing Kohan boots that get practically ruined by the experience. <laughs> Um, and you look for these little like qu- quarter-sized divots in the sand that are the air pockets where these just these beasts are like breathing <laughs> through like twelve inches of sand, and you stick a clam gun, which is just a giant pressurized tube down into the sand, and you try to suck it up, hoisting like several like maybe fifteen pounds of sand with every hoist, and then you see these guys who are like. They, they they look like they've got like a tentacle coming out of each side and they'll crawl away from you back into the sand. And they're about... How, the, how, how big are they? They're about the size of... Um, Googling like razor clam My here. microphone. They're, they're maybe like six, seven inches long. Oh, interesting. It was like real slim pickings for a while. And then this like old timer was just like, come on over here, son. And he's just like... Here they all are. And you see like 20 little impressions in the sand. And you start to realize that on this like three mile beach, there are probably thousands of these things like living subterraneously beneath your feet. And it's real like an annihil. It was an annihilation level lesson for me about like the world that exists beyond man. <laughs> so fun, wow. weird weekend, fun, weird weekend. Um, I cooked a really harmless piece of salmon earlier, so I feel like we're on the same level in some way. <laughs> oh, salmon are so much more, uh, so much more earthbound creatures. I think probably tastier too. These things are sitting in our freezer. I have no idea what they're going to be like to eat. Okay, let's run. All right, you want to start with Red Sparrow, buddy? I I will. Let's 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 get into it. I. So I saw this movie sort of reluctantly, if I can say, and it stars Jennifer Lawrence, who had seen and heard sort of doing the press tour for this movie. And Chance, I texted this you about this, like her interview with Mark Marin in 
this here 2018 is something totally bizarre. Right. It's like performance art on a level like of such rejection of modern customs of the way two people (laughs) should interact in a recorded scenario that I was just, I was perplexed. I was nonplussed. Yeah. We might do, we might be in a position to do a little like dime store psychoanalysis on J law here. um, And Mark Marin. Well, sure. A lot of pathos comes out for both in this interview. (laughs) Well, because she's like, and you said it perfectly, like last time we talked about her and every time I bring her up uh, in our conversation is that she's like just trying to be so aggressively normal. Right. Like that is her, her thing that she like doesn't play by the movie star rules, but she is probably like one of the biggest female movie stars at this point. So at this point, yeah, I think the method to her madness in attempting that normalcy is as she's gotten more and more famous, she becomes like more and more self-deprecating, like frustratingly so. And in that Marin interview, it's like she's just like self-flagellating and kind of inviting him to be mean to her, which she does. (laughs) And then when you see Red Sparrow, you like almost wonder how much of her performance on WTF was like her Red Sparrowing him. Oh, sure. That's interesting. That's an like, what does point. Mark Maron want? Like, what does he need? <laughs> what does he desire? Right. And I'm going to give him the absolute opposite and force him to just like become a grumpy old man asking me like weird loaded questions. Red Sparrow is a Francis Lawrence movie, the guy who directed The Hunger Games. So he's has an experience with basically J-Law coming of age as a movie right. star. And the the the... What do they call that? The the figurehead of the ship of, of a giant property. So now he's kind of, it's sort of like, I'm going to do this, but like in a very, very adult way. Um, sure. And I kind of compared it to Francis Lawrence trying to do like, he's trying to do like Paul Verhoeven meets John le Carre. You no, definitely. That's a perfect comparison. <laughs> but is Francis Lawrence the person to do that is another question. Right. And the first act being sort of a black swan too is like an interesting because it's it's not only a fuck you to darren aronofsky in kind of a way but it's also like from the director but it's also jennifer lawrence her looking at her ex-boyfriend who she like quote unquote is still very much like i love him i'm just not like in love with him anymore kind Uh of like it's a fuck you to that and it's (laughs) it's amazing i think his scarves and hats are nice i'm just not in love with them anymore right um so yeah jennifer lawrence plays a the prima ballerina in Moscow and in this Dominica, the movie makes a statement right away about kind of like it's pop sensibility or lack thereof with like, I think a pretty beautifully edited montage of her like dancing this big night um, in front of, you know, every important political person in Moscow intercut with Joel Edgerton, who plays a CIA operative named Nash meeting a contact in a park and that meeting going south and him like distracting the Moscow police away from his contact who shall remain anonymous and like basically blowing his cover by running to the embassy. Uh, right. Again, and then you cut back and at the end of this performance, I guess this is a spoiler for the first 10 minutes, uh, J-Law's leg is broken when her partner abs- accidentally like, you know, bust. it's like a Gordon Hayward level, like a horrible like soccer cringe highlight of like a leg going the wrong way, right? Well, yeah, but I think it's also, it's A, both the inciting incidents for like what is inevitably going to be a two-character story, which is important to set up early on. True. And B, it's both, it's also showing these two people who are so committed to their their processes that are committing an unimaginable fuck-up. Right. Like, despite their like they just read the situation wrong or they just like were in the wrong place at the wrong time kind of thing. And it's not their fault, but they still like don't do the right thing. Yeah. It's also, there's almost no dialogue. Like that's part of this. I want to consider like why this movie is kind of a failure. I mean, it has not done well at the box office. Um, But I think part of it is just like this movie states right away that like, this is not salt. 
this is like going to attempt something more artistic and in some ways much grander. Right. It's also just long as hell. It's about 220. <laughs> and like, I think when I looked at that, uh, that was the most off putting thing. Like when I was bu- like logging into movie pass or whatever. And I was like, what? 220. Because really I didn't go this? into this movie. I think I went into this movie thinking it was salt. Yeah. Like with Jennifer Lawrence at the lead. And it turned out to be like a Tinker Tailor soldier spy. Right. And that I think is the most interesting card this movie has to play. It's true. Uh, so what it actually turns into an espionage thriller is um, shortly after she's, I mean, she'll never dance again. She can't, she will never be the prima ballerina at least um, after this injury. And so her uncle, who's like the head of whatever they call the KGB now, um, or is a very high ranking operative therein is like, well, the Moscow ballet is not going to pay for your mother's cancer treatment. They're not going to pay for you to live in this sort of like tenement house. So like, what are you going to do? I have an idea. Why don't you meet this guy who you met that night at the ballet for me? Um, Do whatever he wants and I'll make sure that you can keep surviving. And so she meets that well, guy. No, yeah, the only thing is to get him up to the hotel room. Oh, that's right, the that's only right. thing that she basically has to do. But then she's misled into thinking what she has to do is sort of like, you know, like cloak and dagger. When really she's part of like a much larger scheme that sort of, it doesn't go awry. It's just successful. But she's also then the witness to like a major government secret. Sure. goes very awry for her safety-wise. Right. Um, but yeah, from there, she's like swept up into basically working for the KGB. She goes to... I mean, we have to say this is part of the setup. She goes to like the seductress or seductor school. There's both men and women at this school. Um, she's given a choice to either, you know, go there or die after having witnessed this, the end of this mission happen. Um, and there she's learned to fulfill the every sexual desire or need or the very specific one of whoever she's trying to extract information from uh, in order to get those state secrets for uh, for Mother Russia. Morning, Mama. What is it? I have to go away for a while. I was told to take a man to a hotel. They said he was an enemy of the state. Take off your dress. And in exchange, my mother would get the doctor she needed. Instead, they cut his throat. There could be no witnesses. So they gave me a choice. Die or become a sparrow. From this day forward, you will become sparrows. Weapons in a global struggle for power. You'll be trained in psychological manipulation. You must learn to push yourself beyond all limitation. Take off your clothes. When we are finished with you, the person you were will no longer exist. Talking about acting, I mean, I think you have to start with, I think the best performance in the movie was Charlotte Rampling, who Mm -hmm. plays like, her character is called The Matron, and she's like, I mean, she's very like sort of um, Handmaid's Tale, sort of like this is the way that you will behave kind of teacher. But she's also teaching them like a very like specific and very progressive task. Like, I think it's very interesting. There's a scene in there where they're looking at like photographs of a a, some government worker or some politician who's having an affair with like a young man and one of the like cadets is like that's disgusting like he's a homosexual and like a deviant and she's like well like and the Charlotte Rambic sort of turns and you'd think that she'd sort of buy into this like of course he's like he's an infidel or whatever but she goes no like we all have like our things that we're into. So let's not judge him too quickly Uh because like what their job is like, isn't is sort of apolitical. You just do, you just take it for like however far down the long, the line it goes. Like that's sort of a, one of the takeaways of the movie is like, Mm -hmm. I started this and I'm going to finish it. So I thought it was interesting how Charlotte Rampling as a teacher sort of communicates like, matter like what he's doing on his spare time you can use that as a weakness sure and this is how you do it and if you need to be a little boy but you're a little girl you gotta make that work yeah so let's get into the 
kind of the the sex in this movie because it's it's one of the things that people this movie has been polarizing i think um i don't think anybody like really really loves it but a lot of people have been like oh it's interesting and other people have hated it um i so when they, they keep throwing around this line everyone is a bundle of need right you have to find out what that need is the movie thinks that is referring to that specifically in the realm of sex my question, though, is for a movie that is so obsessed with sex as power, is this movie about sex? The plot of this movie that unfolds over two hours and 20 minutes, is sex that central to making this movie what it is? No. And that, I think, is a very strange incongruity. I don't think so. I think this movie is so, like, sort of fatalistic and cynical in its aesthetic that it just survival is the end game and sex is just a tool in your utility belt. And it comes out like when it needs to both in this movie and for these characters, but it's not anything the plot is hung on. And that's maybe interesting. But I think it's weird that it's a one tool utility belt. Like at a certain point, And I think when I started to truly enjoy this movie, I didn't like dislike it, but when I started to really feel it, it was just cause it was like a Tom Clancy book. It was just your average kind of like extension of a Cold War story like going awry with like, is this fuck up person going to like ruin this pass off? And then I started to think, if this is the most exciting part of the movie, like, why did we go to sex school for 45 minutes? I think it's, see, I think your your read is, is a little cynical in its own right on this movie. Like, I think this movie has some really interesting things to say. Of course, like, in the structure of your pretty typical, you know, whoever, book or movie, um, a sort of interesting thing to say about, like, what these roles can be for, and what these characters be can be for a female actor. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, the savvy critics that I've read at least this past week have noted that like Jennifer Lawrence is doing a lot without a lot to be done. And when she does have a moment of like faltering, like that's where the tension of the movie is. Like there's, you know, her initially, like your, your first initial point of contact with her is her going through this horrible injury. And then you see her like when she's like fumbling with the the shelf thing with the discs. It's yeah. like, you're so perfect with everything else. Like, why can't you get the thing with the discs? <laughs> uh-huh. You know, and that's what makes it so tense. And so I think I felt very emotionally attached to her in a way that like she had agency throughout the whole movie. Every time someone asks her to do something, she doesn't do it the like how they asked her to do it. She does it in her own way, in a way that benefits her, sometimes the person that asked her to do it, and definitely not the person it's being done to. I think, I know that's there. I just question whether on a narrative level and on a filmic level, if that makes for real agency. She is, the character of Dominica is under constant duress and pain of death. Like, the whole plot is her basically like, okay, you got two doors, death or, like, tell the truth. And then they weirdly use truth as just this, like, she's like, okay, well, I'll just sort of, like, blow my cover, allegedly, to get this person to trust me. And that's the way you move further and further down. But then I think that on the Francis Lawrence J-Law level, too, you have someone who is doing a very good job of performing suffering, yes. But I don't feel J-Law pushing back on this movie in an interesting way, in the same way I'm not sure Dominica does. I don't know if I agree with you about the agency part. I mean, I think you can look at the plot details to establish the agency part, but what I think is... I think what I think is interesting about this movie is what you think is wrong with this movie. And I think it's evolving sense of like, what is true? Like what is true now is I'm a ballerina, mm-hmm. you know, my, what is true now is my leg is broken and I have this mother to take care of and my own mouth to feed, you know? And then what is true in the next scene is like my creepy sort of pedophile uncle, like thinks I can use my good looks and my otherwise athletic abilities to like kick some ass. So right. I'm going to do what she ever, whatever he says. Cause he's going to foot the bill for what I was just trying to survive before. And this evolving sense of like, well now Joel Edgerton's my boyfriend. Well, actually now my uncle's my boyfriend. It's now, like <laughs> who, and then playing them against each other 
while she's just sort of rigging the deck in her own favor for what I thought was a pretty great prestige, if we may say so. Sure, yeah. And it really ends up her giving the middle finger to, like, every man who tried to mansplain, like, what it meant to serve her country and herself. No one other than her gets what she wants in the end of the movie, and I think that's brilliant. She just wants to go back to, like, being with her mom and, like, hanging. She didn't want to live some extravagant life. She Mm -hmm. just wanted to get out of this situation and move forward, and it took her this amount of time and this amount of players, but she did it. I agree. I agree that I mean the the final sort of takeaway that like her uncle played by Matthias Schoenhart was just like you could be the best Red Sparrow and she in her own way was just like no I'm going to be the best KGB lieutenant you're just not going to know it until the end um, like I'm going to be like you uncle I'm not going to be the best version of your of your niece um, I know that's there I just think I think on the journey. The the scenes of like graphic, like sexual violence are so much more riveting for Francis Lawrence than actually establishing any kind of empathy with this character that I just don't, again, I don't buy it. I think it's an interesting follow-up to Mother in the sense that she keeps well, taking these parts where it's just like, could you be a martyr for me, J-Law, while I like do very little to actually be interested in who you are? And that's what she's done here again. See, I don't agree with you because I think the scenes of sexual violence in this one, again, have a lot of agency. I mean, like, there's the inciting one that she sort of learns a lesson. And then the next time, especially at Sparrow School or whatever, when she goes in, like, there's the scene where the guy, like, sort of tries to overtake her in the bathroom. Right. And he she like fights him off like pretty handedly. And that's like, a I think an interesting thing to see on screen is like, you never really worrying about her like in the physical moment to moment, hand to hand combat kind of way. Just she, ha- what she has to worry about is bigger than that. Yeah. And I think that's sort of, it makes her feel like this, this feels just like a smarter version and less sort of, flash in the pan kind of atomic blonde to me where it's like, let's give us like an actually interesting sort of developed story for this. And like, we don't need James McAvoy here. <laughs> like is Joel Edgerton. What is he doing? We'll get him in this. And you like go, I feel like you go nuts for Joel Edgerton. And I can't believe you're not like coming to his defense here. Cause again, I think he like does like a really good, I haven't washed my hair in three days, CIA <laughs> to, like Lieutenant or whatever. No, I like Joel Edgerton. I think he's good in this. I think, I don't think anybody's doing a bad job in this movie. I just think, we, I mean, the Atomic Blonde comparison is interesting because even in a more nakedly exploitative film, I just think that David Leach cares more for Rita in a cinematic sense, in a time spent sense, and a let me come to your apartment and see, like, see the moment where you almost break down sense than Francis Lawrence cares for this, the person who's supposedly his, his La Femme Nikita. That's the, that is the, there is an interesting distance, I think, between the camera and like what she's actually doing. Right. Which is amazing that we're not seeing more of like what she's doing because this movie's two hours and 20 minutes long. And that's <laughs> because this movie has so much plot it needs to get into to make sure every character like has an arc because there's just so many freaking characters. By the time you get to Budapest, Bu- I'm going to say Budapest because I just saw this movie. Um, right. And you meet the other, her roommate, who has her own mission, who she has to make her own by doing the same thing she always does, which is just like admitting that I fucked up to, I'll tell you the truth, so you'll think I'm lying and believe me, and then send me back to the other people, who I'll also tell the truth, so they think I'm lying to you, and then they'll send me back. By the time you get that many layers deep, it's just like, first of all, how many acts are in this movie? Um, Where is it going? Is the is that creepy assassin going to show up again? Probably. Definitely. <laughs> See, that's what I liked about this movie is knowing that how complicated this knot got. Like, I would see the creepy assassin again, like in the climax of the movie. Yeah. Do you think the knot had to get that complicated? I think it could have gotten like one sort of like half turn less complicated. The but roommate, then you just wouldn't would have had, you know, as an interesting... I thought it was like very... 
like that it was nodding itself in the way it was. I was just like, no fucking way. Like, there's no way they'll be able to do it like cleanly and surprisingly. And I think they, for me, they did like the, the end is worth the means. Okay. Um, are we about ready to rate it? I am. Okay. Let's tell people how we rate movies on this, the be real podcast. There is no ambiguity on Be Real. All movies can and will be classified by one of our four ratings. Good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to sheer artistry. The second is pure entertainment. Good, good is easy to explain. It's a movie that engages your inner art critic and brings you some form of happiness. For both reasons, you want to watch that movie again. Think Shawshank Redemption or Jurassic Park. <laughs> or more recently, Get Out and Lady Bird. That we know of yet. Good Good movies make Noah hyperbolically say, That was the best movie I've ever seen. Bad Bad is easy too. Movies that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just spent two hours wishing you could watch something else. Think of any musician turned actor who gave it a go in a Nicholas Sparks adaptation. I'll pass. Or many Nicolas Cage movie where he plays a wizard or a warrior. You are going to be a force for good and a very important sorcerer. Bad, bad movies make chance say, I hate so much that you made me watch that. Now, good, bad movies. Those we recognize as worthwhile in a cinematic sense, but don't necessarily enjoy. Think Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, or a Ward's Bait that hinges on a historical figure delivering an impassioned speech. I have given you my soul. Leave me my name! These kinds of movies make Noah say, But it was so boring. And then I remind him that at least Leo finally got his Oscar for crawling through all that mud. Conversely, bad good movies feed your thoughtless inner child. They're anything from flawed but charming Nancy Myers outings. I'm miraculously done being in love with you! To late career missteps like Al Pacino and Danny Collins. They're loud and silly, like Kurt Russell in Big Trouble in Little China, or Stargate. It's all in the reflexes. Bad good movies make me want to watch Tombstone, especially when Noah says, But didn't the Mighty Ducks just give you that warm holiday feeling? Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear two friends who watch movies for very different reasons talk about their taste like it's God's own truth. I stayed th- to this movie like through the end credits just to hear like the closing score. <laughs> it, like <laughs> oh, then was it. just like it went to the the screen of uh, whoever the production company was, and I said to myself, "My God!" <laughs> and then I texted you, "My God!" <laughs> and then demanded and I tell you once I'd seen it. Yeah, because I like had so many feelings about it. And I still have a lot of feelings about it. And I think like when that happens, it's a rare moment where I like didn't stop in this movie and go like, what time is it? Like, where am I? Like, what do I have to do after this? I was like in it, really happy with what they did with like sort of my mind while it was there. And then didn't leave me disappointed in the end. It's a good good. Okay. Um, this is a tough one, man. I... I think I'm going to give it a good bad for being interesting. Um, I think that, again, I have these questions about, like, on a narrative level, whether, like, can consent be present when, like, uh, when death is always, like, looming as your other option? Like, is is that a true way to make a, to give a female hero, like, some power in a movie when you're not, like, because that's the thing, I just, I wish that Francis Lawrence would get, like, more in the shit with her. I don't think he himself is interested enough in sex, in the perverse, like a Verhoeven, to really make this movie sing. Um, And I think his distance makes it kind of odd and cold, which I know is appropriate for, like, a Cold War um, thriller. Well, it's supposed to be, it's not Cold War, it's, like, it's now Yes, but it's, but it's, but it is a Cold War thriller, basically. Right. The Cold War isn't dead. It just splintered off into a thousand dangerous pieces, there Chance. There you go. Thank you, Charlotte. Um, so, yeah, I just don't know about the f- this, the this if the approach makes for an interesting watch for me, nor do I think... Just like... It's really so much like Mother. I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. I just don't know how you make a movie about this central figure who you supposedly must investigate and on some level admire and then let me out of the movie without 
effectively doing either. These are both movies about like whether a woman can survive every kind of defilement in order to just explode the system which defiled her. But it's all it's all in the end. I I don't know. I think a good bad. I'm interested to watch it again. All right. Shall we transition now to Salt? Yeah, movies that I think are simpler. <laughs> oh, Salt's very simple. Okay, and Spy's so pretty simple too. Getting into Salt, I want to pose a question that I texted you the other day. Mhm. Why Salt made like $130 million in 2010. Um, yeah. And Red Sparrow, I don't think has quite made its money back yet. Um, what is it about that movie, which is like very 90s in a lot of ways. Philip Noyce is a quintessentially 90s director. Um, oh, yeah. You ha- you have such a bone to pick with him. I always have a bone to pick with Philip Noyce. Um, why was that movie such a hit and Red Sparrow not? Um, well, A, I, as I texted you back, I think this is a very different time and it's like a way less palatable to like, is one of our most beloved movie stars like a Russian spy, question mark? Like playing with that is like, or I feel like we're very Russophobic maybe right now. Probably true. Yep. And two, I think Angelina Jolie like had more stock back then for making like at least bad good movies if not good good movies that jennifer lawrence's pedigree is much different she's like more the next meryl streep not the next you know angelina jolie sure like like lady keanu reeves yes yeah she's not because Red Sparrow, like, like, like I said, I went into Red Sparrow thinking it was salt, and it wasn't. It was like a Jennifer Lawrence movie. Right. Um, and this one is like such a typical like <laughs> Mr. and Mrs. Smith right. or whatever other Angelina Jolie movies came out, you know, in the five years before and after this. Yeah, Wanted. Um, oh, yeah. Tomb Raider. Yeah, it's, it's like Angelina Jolie being like just very sleek and you know, spinning around with guns. She does a lot of controlled roles, I would say, in this right. movie. Well, for about 10 years, she was typecast as sexy blank. Right. And here she's sexy Russian spy, question mark? Right. <laughs> I thought you, when you said sexy blank, you were talking about her, like, her acting performances, too. Because I think that's what it is, right? She's sure. just like, what's going on in there? Like, maybe nothing, yeah. but she's certainly Sexy like... mental patient. <laughs> but she certainly looks good in, like, a leather jacket running. Right. Sexy Tomb Raider. Right. Um, okay, so Salt. So, yeah, so let's talk about... So Salt is about Evelyn Salt, who's a CIA operative, along with uh, one of my favorites, Liev Schreiber, uh, as, like, her partner slash pal, and this, like, really ugly German guy who <laughs> I've, never, I've never seen before. A huge problem with this movie is that her husband is not... is nowhere in her league. Then there's nothing about him that would even... He's not, like, that smart... He's like, he's only kind. He's an arachnologist. <laughs> he's, he, he goes nuts for spiders. At one point in their sort of meet cue, which is in a flashback, she's like, oh, so what do you do? And he's like, I'm an arachnologist. And she's like, what is that? And you think he's going to say like PhD in entomology. And he goes, it means spider hunter. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. You went to 10 years of school to say you're a spider hunter. <laughs> That's what he has been has been dreaming about. In some ways, he's like Ross from Friends. Mm. He's just like this overeducated doofus, right? Who like really went the extra mile when Angelina Jolie's cover was blown and she was stuck in a Kore- uh, like a Korean prison camp, right? And he like called everybody he could and like you know started a GoFundMe for like <laughs> save my spy <laughs> wife and like he got it done and yeah. her cover was blown because she was just dating him to like learn about his his spiders or something right and she's like but I'll stay with you but you have to understand that like the reason I was dating you before was like just because of my job yeah and he's chill with that and then they keep going. And then this dude shows up who's like, hey, I'm an elderly gentleman, elderly gentleman with a Russian accent. Like, I have government secrets. Right. And they're like, put him in the room. <laughs> Turn on the tape recorders. And he's like, we have this Red Sparrow school 
yep. in Mother Russia. But even that more ridiculous. Tra- even more ridiculous because we've like bred fetuses that are like <laughs> Soviet toys and they're still in play and they're all like preparing for like some day that has some dramatic name. I forget what I it is. Day X. Oh, <laughs> Day X. The they're preparing for Day X where they like overthrow the US government in one fell swoop. You think, and it, you think in the script like they just put in like Day X as a placeholder and never took it out? Yeah. Yeah, probably. That's what it sounds and like. Philip Noyce was like, awesome. Yeah. It's a badass name. <laughs> I'll direct it, but we got to leave it as Day X. Right. And so the other tidbit of information I have, because I'm defecting, because I'm an old man, right. and I have like cancer. What was his reason? Who cares? He says he has cancer, yeah. There's like the main red sparrow in this situation is... Uh, this chick named Evelyn Salt, and everyone's like, "Oh, is it the woman who was <laughs> standing in there with him named Evelyn Salt?" And then she would tell Ijo for, yeah, looks at Liev Schreiber and goes, "How well do you know your partner?" <laughs> and then at this point, Angelina Jolie has like exploded one of the like side walls and like run out into the street, and like the 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 cha- as Sean Connery would say, the game is on. <laughs> Got a walk-in, a defector. He's Russian. Neural scan is up. Ev. What's your name? My name is Vasily Orlov. Nothing. He doesn't exist. Today, a Russian agent will travel to New York City to kill the president. This agent is KA-12. The KA program is a myth. Scan says he's truthful. This guy's selling smoke. Wrap it up, Bev. Don't you want to know the name? You're good. You can tell the rest of your story to one of my colleagues. The name of the agent is Evelyn Salt. My name is Evelyn Salt. Then you are a Russian spy. My small nitpick with this movie is I really wish that Smash Williams from Friday Night Lights could have, uh, you know, been, been a little more part of the game. Oh, yeah. He was like, he was always 10 steps behind. He doesn't survive uh, Joker's shoes in the elevator. Um, oh, that's right. Really? Because yeah, it turns it turns out that, yeah, that the, the yeah, that was crazy. They really cribbed that from Dark Knight pretty hard <laughs> two years earlier. Right. Well, um, it's a good it's a good weapon. I mean, it's not gonna like take out an, a number of men. But if you need to take down two guys in an elevator, like why not get yourself like a pop out shoe knife? As dumb as it is, when the Russian guy says in 1978 during the Cold War, like you don't have to say <laughs> during the Cold War to a bunch of CIA people. It's just like or to f- us knowing <laughs> like we also know the Cold War happened. Yeah. Um, and then, well, then the other really funny thing is just like. The first person we ever sent over his name was Lee Harvey Oswald. Um, yeah. As dumb as that stupid. is, the moment where he blows up her cover and everyone's like, huh? Like the root? Um, st- <laughs> I found myself still being like, okay, I'm interested. I'm interested in the question here. But I don't think the movie is interested enough in the question of whether Evelyn Salt is this Russian agent. Well, the, the the movie keeps like in the like the dialogue. It keeps posing the question of like, why does she keep running? Right. And I don't think the direction of this movie like adequately answers that question. Like, why doesn't she turn herself in like into custody? Right. I mean, you you wouldn't have a movie in that sense, and like you wouldn't have the ridiculous climax that this movie has. But like, the climax of this movie is pretty stupid. Right. So yeah, the only interesting thing is like, is it her? And I think a better movie, or even like a, mo- a slightly more competent movie, draws that question out for no, me. No, this movie's like, yep. <laughs> <laughs> How do you not draw it out for at least like 20 more minutes? No, this movie gives it about 30 seconds and it's just like, yeah, it's definitely her. Yeah. She's definitely a spy. She uh, drives an ambulance off a bridge and then steals a Russian hat. But yeah, I just, my big problem with this movie is that it is so stupid like if this this movie could be more interesting if it played out yes these certain questions like longer or if like the twist of the movie was like she is or she isn't or she wasn't or she yeah. saw something that made her like do this even though she's not like whatever it happens to be right. but the twist of this movie if we can spoil it really 
is that Leah Schreiber is also like one of these people. Which, come on, it's not that hard <laughs> to figure so that out. Which is so stupid. It's like the whole government is the, like the whole, every, the, the people, the cream that's risen to the top of the government is all Russian, you know, puppets. Right. Which, I mean, may well be true in our current government, but like <laughs> in, in this movie, I just, it seemed a little high handed. They're pretty smooth operators in the movie, unlike real life. Yeah, but then, like, when Liev Schreiber's, like, pacing around, like, suddenly using his Russian accents, you know, and it's just like, come on, you know, I want to share this with you, Salt, you know, like, come on. It's it's not great. Um, Is that how we know that they're evil? They'll start, they'll suddenly, like, slip into their Russian accent, and, like, that's how we'll know? Well, this is the other, like... I think that the 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 ludicrous nature of the supposed brainwashing program also does the actors no favors because they come to America when they're like what ten, and they've received plastic surgery to match people who people knew in the states. I could believe that about Liev Schreiber's face in this movie, but we keep going. <laughs> but then you're like, well, if you like brainwashed a kid till she was 10 and then sent her to America to grow up the develop the development that happens between ages like 10 and 18 would ruin the programming right I mean I'm I didn't even attempt to play with the logic of this movie or like the science behind it. I just it. didn't understand why they would care about Russia if they left the country when they were 10. Well, why wasn't she just like a red sparrow? Like why right. didn't she like just go to like a postgraduate sex school right. and like had already established her like how to learn how to do things and wasn't coded to love mother Russia. It was just, you know, she had to do it out of survival. Get another degree. Salt. Yeah. Yeah. But I just can't – okay, I couldn't get over, like, the disbelief of her date, like, marrying that ridiculous guy. It and he dies pretty quickly, which is, like, a huge weight off this movie. Yeah, so, actually, sorry. So, this is what I mean. When I bring up the, like – so, wouldn't these people care more about, like, the people in their lives if they had left Russia when they were 10? When she just kind of, like, lets him die – you're kind of like, so what are her attachments? I feel like she would have some attachments. Um, but unlike Jennifer Lawrence, this movie doesn't really even give Salt the kind of like, um, you know, self. I mean, she does a bunch of stuff for herself, but she her revenge is not like specific. But her revenge is like, she's just like pissed that her husband's dead. Right. And then she like suddenly wants to save the U.S. president. Right. And what does any of that have to do with anything? <laughs> Can I shout out? So, like, Philip Noyce is, like, he he has not made... He's made some entertaining movies in his career. He's made The Saint. He's made Patriot Games, Clear and Present Danger. You think The Bone Collector's okay? I think The Bone Collector's fine. This Yeah, well, he had worked with Angelina Jolie before. The thing that I like about Philip Noyce is that even when he makes, like, not very good, kind of ludicrous movies... Um, about people having other people's faces that he always like gets weirdly operatic at times and that happens in this movie in the ending scene where like some sort of like demonic like gymnast salt like jumps over the railing over top of Liev Shriver and chokes him out you know the shot I'm talking about yeah yeah, yeah. that's like something out of you know like a William Blake painting <laughs> It's uh, it's just like where did this where did this come from like uh, progenitor of like the most boring '90s espionage movies like uh, where did the inspiration for this shot he has some deep well of feeling where he's just like okay in an otherwise boring movie I'm gonna do something truly it's grotesque. all been building to this guys I know you think I was half-assing it but this is the this is the the big tamale yes um so that's an interesting shot but otherwise are we ready to rate this movie. <sighs> I, like, wanted this to be bad good so bad. Like, I knew it wasn't going to be good good, like, in the opening title sequence. Yeah. But it's just, like, not good. Bad, bad. Yeah. The performances are not, like, um, you know, they're maybe not melodramatic enough. Like, Liev Schreiber and Shuatel might be a little, a little too good. And then the lack of attention paid to the Salt character psychology in general, they don't make it very interesting to reapproach at all. 
Well, the only scenes that they really have in the movie are like when they talk to each other and they're like, why is she still running? And then Liev Schreiber's like, I think she's doing it for the right reasons. And then we cut back to like her jumping on the top of a 16 wheel tractor trailer. Right. (laughs) It's like, can we give them something else to do? What if they fall in love with each other? Right. That'd be interesting. Yeah, what if she and, like, Leah had been, like, sleeping with each other for the last 30 years? That would have been interesting. And then he starts sleeping with Shuatella Geofor. Yeah, I think this one's a bad bad as well. Yeah, there's no doubt. All right. We've done two movies so far that are both, like, one kind of an a convoluted, dark, psychosexual take on this kind of... Um, La Femme Espionage movie, and then one that's just more of like a shoot 'em up, uh, again, like Lady Keanu Reeves, and then we have one that's going to kind of take, will it, will it take this genre out for interesting satire from Paul Feig and Melissa McCarthy? That's the question. That is the question. Can this movie do for movies what Melissa McCarthy in the spirit of Leslie Nielsen has been doing to genre pictures for right. 10 years now? Right, it's true. I think all of these movies in in their own ways are very messy. Like they just, all of them are interesting in that like these directors want to do something that's very kind of tried and true and they can't quite wrap their head around what they want to do. I just wish Melissa McCarthy had a better directorial ally than Paul Feig. You want to talk about Paul Feig? Or let, let, do we need to set up this movie a little bit? Let's set it up and we'll talk about Paul Feig. Um, yeah, you set it up and then I'll talk about Paul Feig. So Susan Cooper played by Melissa McCarthy is the, uh, you know, the, the, the computer monitor partner of like the best spy the CIA has. So Jude Law plays Bradley Fine, um, and Susan Cooper's in his earpiece and she's telling him as he's on this, you know, this cold open to figure out where's this bomb. She's like, oh, there's people there coming around the corner. Do this, do this, do this. She's, you know, she's his other half and she's very good at it. Um, And then in the continuation of this mission to find this bomb or whatever, I don't know what the plot of this movie is. That's it's a problem. It's a problem. Um, We think that Bradley Fine is killed by Rose Byrne. Um, And Melissa McCarthy sees it happen because she's got the camera. She's got the earpiece. Um, and then they're trying to figure out what to do after their best operative has been killed. So Alice and Janney, sort of like the commander on hand, and and Jason Statham as Rick Ford, kind of like the the wild card of the crew, and Melissa all get in a room, um, and they basically decide, what about you, Susan Cooper, who now has no partner and nobody knows you? Your cover hasn't been blown. You don't even have cover. You want to go in depth and find out who this lady is and figure out what Bobby Cannavale is doing and whether this bomb is going to make it to New York or something. Um, but yeah, it's a pretty simple setup for the most part. A very unlikely person right. tries to do a spy movie. When I quit teaching and joined the CIA, I thought I was going to be this amazing spy and I'm still just the same boring person I was. You play it too safe. I just hear my mom's voice. Just blend in. Let somebody else win. Making a wave isn't always brave. Brilliant. Give up on your dreams, Susan. Just to write that in my lunchbox. We've intercepted chatter that Rayana Boyanov knows where that nuke is. She knows the identity of all our agents. We need someone to find the bomb without being detected, but it can't be any of you. We need someone invisible. I'll do it. Uh, okay. Thanks, lunch lady. I'm serious. Don't let me down, Cooper. I will not. I will let you up. Stop talking. I will let you up. The problem with these movies, and I think Paul Feig movies in general, is they're like both bound to a premise, but also they're bound to Melissa McCarthy, who's best when you let her like improv a little, mm-hmm. which these movies don't lend themselves to very well. Right. I don't think. Like the movies that her and Paul Feig have done together. Um, I don't think the Ghostbusters won. Again, it had too tight of a plot to be like a fun sort of like get a bunch of funny people in a room kind of movie. And this one, too, it's like, is this bomb going to get to New York? Is this... Because, like, when they're clearly, like, going off a script, like, in the first sequence leading up to the fake death of uh, Jude Law, it's pretty tight. And it's, like, moving pretty well. And then they get into, you know, when they get into that, com- that like, government conference room sequence where it's like, she shouldn't be. No, she should be. And then they're, like, goofing on a couple of things. And it's like, enough. 
let's just get back to the the story, guys. Like that's why we're here. This movie's called Spy. Right. <laughs> um, like that's what I thought the like the if you look at like a, a movie like The Naked Gun, what's mm-hmm. funny about it is like nobody's improving. They like all the bits are like highly orchestrated and they have visual and like sort of dialogue gags. Yeah. Well, it's a so deeply when, streamlined spoof. Right. And this one is just not really. Well, okay. So here's my take on Feig. Um, and I think this applies to the Ghostbusters reboot. I think it applies to uh, the heat. That movie is. Yes. Oh, um, the post bridesmaid Feig is, he's just trying to balance so many goals so needlessly that his movies end up not having personality. He wants these to be a spoof, but he also wants them to have a heart, but with like a lot of action and a plot that people care about, but like not so much plot that I can't make fun of how obvious everything is. And it's just like, that's an impossible task, Paul Feig. And I think that I don't mean to make him sound like a victim here because he's trying to wrap his arms around something that is quintessentially kind of, um, well, nominally progressive and highly marketable. But I think what you end up with is a bunch of movies that just go in one ear and out the other. Yeah, I think he's making stupid movies. <laughs> yeah. That I look mean, good Bridesmaids a is a talent. masterpiece, but Bridesmaids was a fluke. Bridesmaids was like that weird amount of chemistry around a very specific set of actors like brought to the screen that I don't think can be reproduced, which as proven by many an Apatow movie. Sure. Yeah. With, with more improv bridesmaids had than this. And also like also bridesmaid is, is kind of in that it's, it's weird that it's, it's so close, but so far away 2011 that like a true, like gross out R rated blockbuster still felt like it really meant something then. Right. I'm not sure that's true today. In the post bad moms world, you know, we're all just everything has like a, a penis in it. Right, exactly. Yeah. But back in the hangover f- days, seeing it with all women meant more. Yes. So, how's Melissa McCarthy here? I think she's fine. I think she's a, the character is a little pathetic. Yeah. Well, and I think that, like, I don't know. It's just a weird look to see on her because I feel like she can play better and I just don't like the I don't know I don't love the like incompetent Melissa McCarthy characters I like the endearingly weird Melissa McCarthy characters you know as made famous by her role on as Suki on Gilmore Girls I even kind of liked her in that movie The Boss where it's like I think she's much weirder in that movie yeah, because she's like a dislikable but like highly like confident person. <laughs> she's like a Martha Stewart or like some big. Right. She's closer to um, the woman who made the racist uh, Paula jokes, Dean. Paula Dean, than she is to Martha Stewart. But anyway, but she has this fall from grace, and she's decides to make money on the equivalent of Girl Scout cookies, right. and you know abuses her power position to like convince these like <laughs> uh, defenseless children to like run this business empire for her mm-hmm. as she's going through her legal proceedings for her last fraud anyway this movie doesn't give her like that right it's like oh i kind of have a crush on this guy and like i've always been sort of a nerd and take me seriously and i guess she proves it in the end some way you're waiting for something to happen with this character and the movie kind of teases that like when will she actually be able to take the reins as the character and i think one of the one of the good turns in the movie is she figures out that when she actually meets reina the rose Byrne character she has to lie to her and tell her that she was hired by her kind of like ukrainian warlord father or something to protect her and she figures out the only way she can work with this person is to be like meaner than her which leads to right. i think like maybe 15 minutes of some pretty good gags um but but she doesn't then come out of that like realizing that like just be more assertive and everything's easier right she just sort of does it and then forgets about it immediately when the next sort of set of circumstances call for it. And I think if the overall movie was tighter, then you could just like, I mean, I always want to compare her to kind of like the legacy of Chris Farley, right? Like in, in like nineties movies where a sort of like, you know, bigger and competent person just like somehow like 
gets it done and they're very lovable and like everybody's telling them like you can't do this but then they can but i don't think that the the movie doesn't afford her the kind of wildness that a movie would right. always afford chris farley well like a tommy boy doesn't have any shame like this right. movie there there is a shame there and i mean like you could easily like turn it back on itself and say like well like as a like a female character she is dealing with that but that's just like i'm talking about like interesting filmmaking here not like you know, a referendum on what this woman's life actually would have been like as the other half of Jude Law's secret (laughs) super spy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I'm with you. (laughs) You know, um, and I'll say that, you know, in, in the way that these Paul Feig movies always are, cause he's just got a wealth of talent. I think some of the, I think Jason Statham is funny. I laughed really hard at a point where I was like pretty, really done with this movie. The last line where he's like, I'm going to take to the sea. And they're like, do you think he knows that's a lake? I think it's a very good bit. Sometimes a man just has to take to the sea. I think the Peter Serafinowicz character is very curious. Um, he's like her Italian contact. who's Oh, yes. Who's like constantly kind of like, you know, in this caricature of like gropey Lothario Italian men is always like <laughs> cat calling everyone and like trying to grab her. And then at the end, he's just like, I'm sorry, I was undercover. I didn't mean to disrespect you. But he's like, oh, no, it's me. And you really walk away not knowing if this character is pretending to be a kind Englishman or an Engl- or an Englishman pr- who was just pretending to be, like, really foul. I thought that was kind of weird and funny. Sure. But they don't I'll add, agree with they don't you add up that. to anything. Yeah, th- th- I mean, this movie has a lot of great sequences and a lot of good, like, things it could have done. Yeah. Again, I just don't think the takes they used from certain improvisational aspects of this movie carry the otherwise, like, because that's the thing, like, because Paul Fee can, like, wink at the fact that, like, it's a spy spoof, it's not supposed to be actually, like, a legitimate action movie, he, like, gets away with it being, like, kind of a boring action movie. I think the point is you zoom out and look at this genre is that spy movie is too broad a category to go in with no plan like Paul Feig needed to spoof our genre of spy movie from La Femme Nikita to Red Sparrow to Salt like and I think he there was like a scene where he teases it where Susan Cooper gets like her you know her sexy black dress for the first time and kind of like saunters into that room like bigger than life um but I think he just went in being like you know, you can't spoof a Western today with no plan. Like, it has to be a tighter, be real genre than that. Absolutely. Yeah, if they had had a movie or a sequence where she, like, has to, like, have, like, intercourse with someone, like, as, like, one of her things and has to, like, pretend to be, like, Jennifer Lawrence and Red Sparrow, like, that would have been a funny thing to see. But instead, it's just, like, yeah, her being clumsy with, like, equipment and you know not understanding the protocols for things and right yeah making a mess it's not being it's not being like playing emotional games right yeah in a universe where we have naked gun and austin powers and i mean even kind of like an archer and i mean even the the bond films at this point are a little bit self-aware like you you can't I would love to see the like the Armando Iannucci version of this spoof or the Amy Sherman Palladino version of this spoof. But sure. Paul Feig's just it's too broad. I think he's thinking too much about dollars and not enough about, you know, how to pull off like a satire. So I'm gonna uh I, I don't hate this movie at all. Um I think it's I think it's Nor do I think I. it's fine. But I'm at, I would file it under like supercut movies where if you show me the best eight minutes on YouTube, like good enough but otherwise like i'm not gonna watch it again so probably bad bad yeah it's bad bad i think it's it's lesser feeg it's lesser mccarthy uh both have done better and hopefully will again here's hoping i just love a good spy movie though definitely spy movies are a blast sure even when they're it should be forewarned that um if you do go see red sparrow it is brutal right it is brutal <laughs> yeah. i found it highly like entertaining and enjoyable experience but like there's a lot of like weird like apparatuses being used to like inflict pain on people right yeah part of the reason i've given it a good bad <laughs> yeah so yeah there we go 
Um, well, folks. But it's never painful talking to you, buddy. Oh, that was a nice segue. Um, yeah, I'd go undercover with you anytime. If you ever feel like I'm being a double agent, I'm a triple agent headed back your way. I would never be able to, with a straight face, remove your skin layer by layer. <laughs> Thank you. To keep the con alive. Yeah, there you go. Um, well, folks, you can always find more episodes of our show at berealpodcast.com. We hope that you do. Uh, iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcast, we should be there. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. That's always fun. Um, we've got a couple new episodes planned with guests. They're ready to go. So keep it tuned. Get excited. Um, you review the show. You can comment on Facebook or Twitter. Let us know what you think. Say hey. All the things. Noah, anything to add? I don't give a damn what they think. We're going to keep doing it by the numbers every week. <laughs> Was this by the numbers? I, I think it was. Okay. It was a pretty, uh, in the genre of podcasts, of uh, movie reviewing by similar genre podcasts, uh, I think it was pretty by the numbers. All right. Well, you're a bun- in a great I'm way. I'm a bundle of need, and the need I have right now is to get out of here. So I'll talk to you later. All right. See you later, buddy. But like heaven above me.